From the MGMA in-home studios, welcome to the Insights Podcast. I'm Daniel Williams. A lot of our customers did not think that their elderly populations could utilize RPM technology. Oh, it's too difficult. They can't do it. They're not familiar with technology. What we found is if the um, interface is intuitive and simple, elderly patients have no problem using it and adhering to the programs. So it was overcoming the clinical teams as a barrier to deployment. That's Bill Paschal talking about overcoming perceived challenges regarding remote patient monitoring. We'll hear more from Bill about RPMs in just a moment. But first, a word from our sponsor. How much time do you spend in your EHR every day? You could reduce the time you spend documenting in your EHR with accurate speech recognition. Fusion Narrate, powered by Invoke, is a cloud-based speech recognition platform by Dolby. It lets you use your voice to take control of your EHR and start getting time back in your day. It's accurate, easy to use, and highly customizable, allowing you to focus on what's really important, patient care. Visit FusionNarrate.com slash MGMA to see how Fusion Narrate can speech enable your EHR. Our guest today is Bill Paschal, a Vice President at Vivify Health. Bill's here today to talk about billing, reimbursements, and optimization of remote patient monitoring platforms. Bill, thanks so much for joining us today. Thank you, happy to be here. Now, first, I wanna get a better understanding about your work. Uh, What has been your major area of focus during the pandemic? Well, just shortly before the pandemic, uh, Vivify Health, uh, where I serve as uh, VP of Business Development, was acquired by Optum, a division of United Health Group. So we really focused with their investment on rapid growth, um, serving all of our uh, different clinical partners. Um, During the pandemic, of course, we really had some shifts, um, but we could rely on some of our past work. Uh, Back in 2014, when there were a couple of Ebola cases here in the US, Um, American Medical Response had several of its ambulance um, drivers, personnel, paramedics with possible exposure to Ebola. Uh, We turned around and got them a mobile um, app with uh, Center for Disease Control um, questions and parameters for Ebola, um, including temperature. to them in about 36 hours so that they could monitor and manage all of those with possible exposure uh, to see if they had any of the uh, symptoms of Ebola. Um, And uh, fortunately they did not, but we relied on that experience and moving fast with with COVID and came out very quickly 
with a screening tool for mobile and web apps and for our kits, which we call Vivify Home. And we got that out at no cost to our current and new customers. And then we also developed a monitoring tool um, along those same lines, which there was a small cost if there was suspected or positive uh, COVID. That really accelerated some growth for us um, during the pandemic. And then really keeping uh, track of what was happening with CMS on all of the expanding um, telehealth codes, um, changes in the RPM and chronic care management um, codes as the year rolled on um, so that we could serve our customers well, be knowledgeable about what they could bill for, um, what technology they could utilize in order to serve patients um, without coming into physical contact. Mm -hmm. Now, thanks for sharing that with us. And your expertise in, in doing a little research on you found that your uh, telemedicine career goes back to the 90s when you worked on AMD's telemedicine platform. Later, you were with AT&T and their mobile health division. Just wondering about that as you've, you know, spanned, gosh, 25 plus years there uh, in the telehealth, telemedicine space. How has it evolved as far as you've seen and, and what about it has surprised you over this time period? Yeah, so I have been involved in it for a long time. I was actually at the very first um, telemedicine um, and uh, there was a little section, it was a telemedicine med, uh, section in a teleconferencing com, uh, conference years ago and born out of that. Um, actually, American Telemedicine Association kind of arose out of that. Um, so been there uh, since the beginning uh, with AMD Global Telemedicine. Um, I worked uh, serving the western half of the U.S. for direct and channel partners. Back when telemedicine was an electronic stethoscope and maybe a camera connected to a room-based video conferencing system um, that might um, have 384K as the fastest bandwidth it could operate on, on some DSL lines. <laughs> right, I mean, This was right. way back. Um, nobody had thought of smart anything mm -hmm. um, or computer-based applications or much less mobile-based applications. Um, but then when I went to AT&T as Director of Healthcare Applications uh, serving there, of course, all of that exposure to the possibilities of cellular networks, um, SIM card devices, um, and other things that could really light a fire uh, for telehealth and telemedicine uh, was pretty exciting um, in those days before joining Vivify Health um, in early 2013. Um, and so I've seen a lot, seen the progress, um, but I would have to say that uh, one of the things um, that I guess most surprised me was just how long it has taken for whether you call it telemedicine, telehealth, and even remote patient monitoring um, to reach significant market share, much less become a standard of care, um, which many of us believe that it should be. So, uh, you know, this last year we saw uh, escalations and rapid deployment of telehealth solutions and remote uh, patient monitoring or remote physiologic monitoring solutions 
um, at rates and in scale that we'd been dreaming about for decades, um, but really caused by uh, you know, this pandemic and the inability uh, for face-to-face -face interactions. So I would say that's the two things that surprised me, how long over the last decades it has taken for telehealth, telemedicine to grab hold and how fast it grabbed hold in just mm -hmm. a couple of months in 2020. That has been one of the remarkable things here in this past year. We, we know that um, some of that technology has been available as a technological tool, but it's in getting it, um, you know, getting some of those regulations loosened so some of those products uh, and digital tools can be provided to patients. So I know that um, in earlier correspondence with you, learning that one area you're closely aligned with is in the reimbursement for telehealth. What can you tell us then about the CMS changes for 2021 and what that direction has looked like? Yes, so I have, that has become one of my responsibilities in my position here at Vivify is to be able to work with our sales team and with our product team directly on making sure that our product enables our customers to comply with the codes um, and with codes as they change, um, you know, almost every year. Um, and to just go back a little bit, it was not until 2015 that there was any reimbursement at all. Um, for remote care, and that was under the CCM or chronic care management program. RPM, you know, opened up in 2018 with the unbundling of one code, 99091, and then in 2019, you know, with a set of remote physiologic monitoring codes. So all of that stuff's kind of happened pretty recently. Um, and we've had a fair number of customers um, who have been successful in billing um, CMS for those codes. Um, and in states that have parity, you know, and have agreed to also um, pay on those codes uh, with private health insurance. But in 2021, as a result of the uh, final rule of the physician fee schedule, which was published in, in December of this year, there have been some changes with um, remote physiologic monitoring. That code that had originally been unbundled, 99091, which is for 30 minutes of time with a physician or qualified health professional, um, before 2021 could not be billed at the same time that clinical staff were doing the non-face-to-face care management services for RPM for 99457 and 99458. So that's a change. Those, can, those codes can be billed concurrently as long as that, the work elements and requirements are being done for each one of those. Um, which really helps um, the providers get paid for the work that they are doing. CMS made some other clarifications. Um, those two codes that I just mentioned are not dependent on completion of the 16 days of automated data or biometrics for the equipment code 99454. There'd been a lot of um, uncertainty about that. A lot of our customers thought they had to get that 16 days of data before they could uh, build the other codes. And that's not the case. Um, and the two equipment codes, 99453 and 99454, can be, in 2021, CMS clarified, those can be completed by auxiliary personnel. Um, so someone who doesn't even qualify as clinical staff. 
um, can do those services and they can be contracted to the billing provider. Um, another clarification was that that equipment code 99454 for those 16 days of automated data, um, that that cannot be patient entered data or manually entered data. That data has to flow digitally from that acquiring biometric device either to the platform or the, to the physician or to the EMR. Um, and that that code can only be billed once, even if multiple devices are used by the patient. So CMS clarified that, you can only bill that once. Um, however, during COVID, if the patient who you're monitoring is suspected of COVID or is COVID positive, you only need two days of data. Now that is not a permanent change, um, but during the public health emergency. Um, so we'll see what happens um, with that. One of the changes that was kind of made mid-year last year was that the RPM codes could be used for acute conditions as well as um, chronic conditions. And you only need one chronic condition. Um, another clarification was that the two service codes, 99457 and 99458, must include an interactive communication um, as well as uh, the non-face-to-face -face treatment management services. So that interactive communication has to be an audio and also include video, but must have an audio component. So it cannot be texting or um, two-way messaging or even chat but there has to be at least one interactive communication in those 20 minute segments. Mm -hmm. Now let's stick with uh, remote patient monitoring. Then you were going into detail about some of those different codes. I think what's important, we're hearing this as well from the MGMA member audience uh, when we have live webinars and, and through our uh, chat area as well. A lot of questions about reimbursement and billing. So when we think about it that way, what types of medical practices are, are generating the most revenue uh, from remote patient monitoring? Where are they finding success? So it kind of varies across the board, but CMS really makes a distinction in non-facility rates and facility rates. So physicians and qualified health professionals that are in a practice can bill the non-facility rates, which are much higher than the facility rates that a hospital, hospice, or other um, qualified facility can bill. So um, if we're looking at reimbursement, those uh, providers and qualified health professionals who can directly bill uh, Medicare Part B um, for evaluation and management services qualify to receive more funds from CMS than the facilities. So where we're really seeing that is um, primary care and some specialists who are billing and then organizations who have set up uh, clinical call centers in order to manage those patients with a CMO or other um, designated billing provider. If you're familiar with the MGMA audience, uh, the practice administrators out there, data measuring processes is very important. So when you're putting these uh, sort of platforms in place, what are some of the KPIs or other data points 
that you've been monitoring especially closely to uh, really ascertain what's working and what's not working out there? So some of the things that we do is we do surveys to the clinical teams, both um, at implementation and then at different time periods um, post-implementation, really just to gauge um, satisfaction and usability of our solution and then um, feature requests um, that they're requesting. So that's one of the things we do. Also with patients, um, we give um, assessments um, out and request um, data from them on their um, satisfaction and utilization of our solutions. We can track um, the usage. So things that we look for are clinical team and customer satisfaction. Um, in those, we strive for the upper 90s percent and we hit the 90s um, with almost all of our customers, both on the clinical team um, and then with patient adherence and satisfaction, Vivify measures patient adherence that the patient does every requested activity, whether that's inputting a biometric, uh, responding to a survey question, watching an educational video, that uh, they respond to every uh, request the entire time they're on the program. So they're either 100% compliant or they're not compliant. Uh, we find that um, with Vivify kits, which we call home, we hit about 90% patient adherence and satisfaction with that solution. And with our mobile web, uh, mobile apps and web apps, which is Vivify Go, we hit about 70% patient adherence and then patient satisfaction. The average age of the patients on the kits is about 77 mm -hmm. um, and about 10 years younger um, with the mobile web apps. Um, the other thing that we look at is the size of initial agreements and scale. We find that that um, over this past year is growing um, and most of our customers use a mix of kits and mobile and web apps um, and the percentage of the mobile web apps is growing um, and that is also um, evidenced by the growth of our sales team which has grown over 3x in the last two years. We also look at um, clinical use case growth. As an RPM uh, solution company, when we started, we were really designing uh, solutions for chronic conditions. Mm -hmm. um, our customers found the solution pretty easy to use and to add and build content. So now we are helping our customers manage over 80 different clinical conditions. So we have a whole um, content team uh, um, working on that um, and reviewing content. Um, we have a very significant number of health delivery organizations that provide um, RPM and telehealth services with also value-based factors that do not include ROI uh, and you know, so are not reimbursement dependent. Um, and uh, so most of our customers look at factors that are value-based factors along with ROI and reimbursement as they determine you know, what their path is going to be moving forward. Um, and, and so we find the solution sets are almost as varied as our customer base itself. Mm -hmm. um, I will say that many organizations are still really trying to figure out how reimbursement fits in their organization. Um, 
and uh, not all you know uh, bill CMS as heavily as others. Uh, Medicaid really factors in. Um, there are several states that have good Medicaid reimbursement for remote patient monitoring, but that is not at all consistent across the U.S. And many states have no Medicaid reimbursement uh, for RPM. So there's a ton of different factors that go in uh, that, that um, go into the business model. And then some organizations cannot bill uh, for RPM services. Home health would be the one that stands out the most for that. We really expected that to be a change in the physician uh, schedule final rule for 2021, but home health still cannot bill for RPM services. So we still have to look at that, um, you know, as, as who are our customers? What are they doing? How are they providing service? Um, what's the workflow? Um, and how can we help them achieve their goals? Mm -hmm. So when we think about the biggest complications or challenges in working with patients in an RPM program, from the practices standpoint, is it, does it really boil down to uh, that billing and reimbursement? Is there anything that's challenging as well from the uh, communication and engagement side of it? Where would you say when you're, when you're talking to those clinics uh, where they're having, where are they having those biggest sticking points then? So I just got off a phone call earlier today and the organization's real sticking point was they didn't have a champion within the organization who could kind of bridge the gaps between the different parts of their organization from uh, the physicians to the home health team members to the executive team and helping them understand you know, what are the problems that RPM solves and what are the opportunities when those problems are solved? Uh, so I would say that's one of the biggest barriers earlier. And I go back a couple of years. Um, a lot of our customers did not think that their elderly populations could utilize RPM technology. Oh, it's too difficult. They can't do it. They're not familiar with technology. What we found is if the um, interface is intuitive and simple, Elderly patients have no problem using it and adhering to the programs. So it was overcoming the clinical teams as a barrier to deployment. And I think that's probably the main things we find. The other thing is, as I just mentioned earlier, a lot of organizations now have one foot in fee-for-service and one foot in value-based care. They're trying to optimize both. And sometimes that leads to a, a little bit of conflict. Mm -hmm. Thanks for that, Bill. Um, you have touched on a lot of aspects of remote patient monitoring and telemedicine here. This could be a little bit overwhelming, you know, to just take it all in at once. So what are some first steps then that a practice can take to truly optimize that telemedicine practice that they already have in place? And you can speak in particular to remote patient monitoring, if that's where you want to go? Well, I would say one of the things is to review their current capabilities, their clinical staff, auxiliary personnel, qualified health professionals. Do they have a, a champion who's effective in promoting their RPM or telehealth program? 
how are they doing that um, out in the market as a differentiator? And are they actively billing? What is their Medicare and Medicaid patient makeup? Is private pay a big part of their customer base? And have they worked with those uh, private pay organizations for parity, uh, for paying the same thing for the same services that CMS does? As that varies quite a bit from state to state and even health plan to health plan in the same region. So it can be pretty complex to deal with those things. And then again, where they are in uh, fee-for-service versus value-based care priorities. What are their primary priorities in providing these services? Uh, then reviewing the CPT and HCPCS codes that they want to bill, getting an understanding of them. There are plenty of webinars out that they can listen to membership in organizations like American Telemedicine Association, and then contract, contacting their local Medicare administrative contractor for Medicare Part B, um, who works for them in communicating with CMS on what they can bill and what they, what they should do uh, to meet billing requirements. Mm -hmm. Talk to someone who's very familiar with billing and reimbursement, um, like those MACs, um, and get some insight from others who have been successful in doing. Okay, then. Well, are there any final thoughts you'd like to share with our audience, particularly about the billing and reimbursement for remote patient monitoring and telehealth that you'd like to share with us before we sign off? It seems on the surface like there are just a few RPM codes and that adhering to them should be fairly straightforward and simple, but it can get complex really quickly. There's a lot of detail and a lot of nuance, and I get questions all the time about someone who reads a rule differently or interprets um, something differently. And guidance, published guidance from CMS does not come out very often. It's mainly in the final rule physician fee schedule and then in the AMA and the CPT codebook, and there's a lot of a lot of elements that are usually left up in the air. So making sure that you talk to someone who's knowledgeable. There are some great um, people to follow, um, like Foley's um, and Nixon uh, law groups put out great blogs. Uh, American Telemedicine Association is a super organization that's getting refocused in these areas. They have special interest groups that people can join to keep up and link up with peers and stay up to date on policy and what's happening in their particular niche of healthcare. So I would, I would, uh, I would recommend doing some of those things. Mm -hmm. Well, Bill, I, I want to thank you so much for sharing these thoughts with us today and giving us a glimpse of what's going on in the remote patient monitoring world out there. So thanks so much. You bet. Thanks for having me. Well, that's going to do it for this episode of Insights. Thanks to our guest, Bill Paschal. You can hear more Thought Leadership Insights at MGMA's Medical Practice Excellence Pathways Conference in May. For more information, go to mgma.com slash pathwaysconference. And thanks to Dolby for sponsoring this week's show. Visit fusionnarrate.com slash 
MGMA to see how Fusion Narrate, a cloud-based speech recognition platform by Dolby, can speech enable your EHR. If you like the show, please rate and review it wherever you get your podcast. If you have topics you'd like us to cover or experts you'd like us to interview, email us at podcast at mgma.com or find me on Twitter at MGMA Daniel. MGMA Insights is presented by Declan McGee, Rob Ketchum, and I'm Daniel Williams. Stay safe and thanks for listening. Hi, this is Declan McGee, one of the producers for the MGMA Insights podcast. If you like the work we're doing, please consider becoming an MGMA member. Learn more at mgma.com slash membership. Thanks.